I personally, I didn't know if we were going to start it again this year or not, but uh, here we are. So um, this, this series has been kind of burning in my spirit for the past several months, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that we finally get a chance to start it up. So we're going we're gonna to title this for the next eight weeks, eight or nine weeks. We're going to call it, Where is God? Where is God? And sometimes you, you have to ask that during different seasons of your life, where is God? And so we're going to do our best to answer that during this series. So first, we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 27, and then we're going to go to Psalms 139, and we're going to read verses 7 through 10. 1 Kings 8 and 27 says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have builded. And then to the book of Psalms 139 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So where is God? So first of all, a couple of facts that we have to establish. I think we all know that God is omnipresent. Now, in case that's a $100 word and you've never heard that word or you don't know what that means, very simply, it just means God's everywhere. He's everywhere and he's all at one time. Now, we are a oneness apostolic church. So it's not too hard for people to comprehend that God can appear or speak to me in a certain way. And at the same time, if Pastor Gary was in Africa somewhere, he could appear and speak to him at the same time. And it doesn't mean that there's two gods or there's three gods, but it just means that he manifests himself in many different ways. The writer of Hebrews says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days hath spoken unto us by his son. Amen. So God is omnipresent. So that's really hard for us to comprehend. But Solomon said, in our text, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Now, what that means, very simply, is that the entirety of the known universe is too small for God. You ever bought a car that was too small for you to drive? Or been in a room that was too small for you to be in? Or tried to sleep in a bed that was too small for you to sleep in? When my wife and I, whenever we go her mother in to her, her her mother's house, they have, I think it's a twin size bed, and we managed to sleep on it. We have a queen size bed at home, or is it a full size? It's it's either a twin or full size, but it's not it's not a queen size, and we call it tiny bed. <laughs> it's tiny bedtime because there's no room. You can't spread out. You have your elbows everywhere. You know it's just small. Well, the Bible says that the heaven of heavens, the whole universe, is too small for God. I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to fail that, but I'm going to do my best to try and really bring that home, what that means. Our Milky Way galaxy alone is, again, according to Google, if, you, if it's not right, don't blame me, blame Google. It's 52,000 light years across. Now, not, not miles across, but light years. So light travels at a distance of 186,287 miles per second. The sun is about 93 million miles away. It takes light about 8 minutes and 20 seconds for light to reach the sun. 93 million miles away. In light traveling that fast, 
takes over 52,000 years to travel across our tiny Milky Way galaxy. One of the smallest galaxies in the universe is our Milky Way galaxy. And it takes light traveling that fast, light that can reach a distance that's 93 million miles away. It takes light 52,000 years to travel across our whole galaxy. Scientists estimate there are about 100 billion galaxies in the universe. Many of them far bigger than ours. In our own galaxy alone, there are, about, there are over 250 billion stars. Just in our own galaxy. Now multiply that times the number of stars in all of the galaxies, which are about 100 billion galaxies. And again, we have a small universe, so our small universe contains 250 billion stars. You know there's galaxies that contain a whole lot more than that. And if you were to try and count the number of stars that there are, it's a number that is just infinitely large. And to, I, don't, I don't even know if we have a number in the English system that goes that high, frankly. And yet, Scripture simply says this of God in Isaiah 46. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that brings out their host, that's the stars, by number. He calleth them all by names. By the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one fails. Again, Psalms 147 verse 4 says this. He tells the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Do you know God has a name for all the stars? Not just in our, not just the 250 billion that's, you know, that's here in our own tiny little galaxy, but in every galaxy all across the universe, he's got names for all those stars. He knows them all. He knows where they're at. Amazing. The power and the greatness of God. And you know, whenever the Bible says that he created the stars, it's almost you know, like, like something that's mentioned off the cuff. Oh, and he created the stars also. Oh, okay. That's a good, that's a, that's a, that's a good day for anybody who can create that many stars. Create one, if you can create anything, it's a good day. But God just simply spoke it and boom, it happened. All of those things. But hidden in our text is a cool hint at the specific location of God. Now, we know that he's omnipresent, but, but where specifically is the location of his throne? Now, King Solomon said the heaven of heavens cannot contain God, and that means as far as the heavens can extend, they cannot contain God. So that would mean the known universe. So heavens here is what we would call the universe. So the known universe is about 93 billion light years in diameter. Again, this is not 93 billion miles. This is 93 billion light years. Light which can travel a speed that fast can reach the sun 93 million miles away in eight minutes. It takes light traveling that fast 93 billion years to go from one edge of the universe to the other. Now to show you how big exactly that is, if the distance to where I'm standing here on this, uh, behind this podium uh, and compared to the distance where Pastor Gary is sitting on the front pew, if that could be represented as the distance between here and the sun then between where I'm standing to the edge of the universe would be from here all the way to Saturn. It's that far. That's how big it is. And you know what? Solomon said all of that room and all of that space is simply too small for God. Because while God is in all of it, he is also above 
all of it. We know from Scripture that the heaven is the location of God's throne. Now, you knew that. Again, just a few verses. Revelation 4 and 2 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, we know that's Jesus, and that was in heaven. Psalms 11 and 4, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. It's amazing that God, who is that big, and yet His His you know, his, his power and his presence are everywhere, yet he knows the number of hairs on our head or the number of hairs that are not on our head or the number of hairs that you've lost from one day to the next or the ones that fell out in the shower. He knows it all. He never has any questions about where you are. So it's no shock that God is in heaven, but it's the location of heaven that you may or may not have thought about. Now, I believe, and you may disagree, that's fine, but I believe that heaven is a location that is above all things. Of course, it is. We know it's a spiritual place, but I, you know, I believe that it's also a physical place. It is also a place that God has prepared, uh, and it's a place where Christ ascended. It's outside and above our known universe. From Ephesians 4 and 8, here's what it says, wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, but what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up. Where did he ascend? Far above all, all what? Heavens. Everybody say heavens. That he might fill all things. So Christ ascended far above all heavens. Now to the Hebrew mind or, or, or understanding, there were three heavens. Okay, 2 Corinthians 12 and 2 says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows such an one was caught up into the third heaven. So to the Hebrew mind, there was the first heaven, which was simply the atmosphere above the earth. The second heaven is the various galaxies of the universe, what I spent a few minutes uh, trying to understand and explain. And then the third heaven would be the place of God's physical throne and where God dwells. Now, I believe that when, when it says Christ ascended up far above all heavens, it means the third heaven, which is above all the other heavens, far above outside of the known universe, outside of the galaxy, uh, outside of our own galaxy for sure. Psalms 8 and 1 says this, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Not the heaven, but heavens. Psalms 57 and 5, be thou exalted, O God, above the Heavens, let thy glory be above all the earth. Psalms 113 and 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Again from Ezra 4 and 21, for like as the ground is given up unto the wood and the seed of the floods, even so they that dwell upon the earth may understand nothing but that which is upon the earth. And he dwells above the heavens. He that dwells above the heavens may only understand the things that are above the height of the heavens. What is outside of the universe? Scientists have theorized for decades now. And actually, Albert Einstein had a theory that the universe doesn't really have, never really had a, a beginning. And it will never have an ending. And that's how they answered the questions, even the evolutionists today, not probably all of them, but many of them, you know, if you were to ask them, well, what created, what or who created that first matter? They'll say, well, it, the universe has always been here. And so really, it's not too far of a jump for that to say, well, God has, already, has always been here. You know, there may not have always been a universe, but God has always been here, and he's infinite too. 
just like the, just like you say the universe is infinite, we say God's infinite. God's all powerful, and 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 you know the Greeks call it the logos, you know, which is a complicated Greek word, but it just means you know the universe, you know that that unforeseen power that rules everything. But we know that God is a wise God, and He is an all-knowing God. So all of this is neat and it's fun to think about. But what does it really mean for me, or what does it mean for you and for the church? Well, first of all. There are things that are too high for me, but nothing is too high for God, because he is above all. Secondly, what better place to observe and watch everything than from a place that is above it all, where you're not in the middle of it, looking around and up and down, but you're seeing from high above the clouds, from high above the universe, you can see everything, the all-knowing, all-seeing eye of God. Who sees even the sparrow fall. You know, our eyes, if, 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 the, if the road's clear and flat, and if the sky's clear, we can probably see a couple miles away, maybe more. But God can see so much farther than that. And he is in, and he is above all of it. And it means that even the, during the darkest, dreariest hour, our God has never ceased to be in control or ceased reigning. From Psalms 113 and verse 19, again, the psalmist said this, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules above all. Isaiah 66 and 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? Acts 7 and 49 says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, says the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? He sits atop and reigns. From the heavens. He sits atop the heavens and reigns them. But the earth, the Bible says, is his footstool. Now watch this. It means when, whenever the Hebrews said that the earth was God's footstool, it meant that his dominion over the earth is so total and complete that it's as if it's a footstool for God. It speaks of dominion and control and completely reigning. Like a completely subjugated slave that does his master's bidding, that sits at his feet and waits for direction from his master. That's what the earth is like with God. And that's the truth that it's meant to convey powerful, regal control and complete sovereignty. So if that's the case, if God reigns, why is there so much chaos on the earth? So glad you asked. Because here's, here's the thing. I know I've gave this illustration before, but I'll give it again. If you lease a house out, if, if I own the house, but you're leasing it, and I walk into it, and it's a mess, whose fault is it? Who lives there? Not mine. Now, if, if I'm a slumlord, and, 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 and the roof's leaking, and, and, and all those things, no, it's different. But God is not a slumlord. He gave us a beautiful earth to live in. He gave us a gorgeous earth to live in. I mean, you don't have to look far to see incredible beauty right here in Missouri, right here in Kansas City. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And the earth has been a beautiful place, but man has messed it up. And it's, it's really odd because man keeps saying, we don't need God. We, we can handle this all on our own. Oh, really? Did I remind you of 2020, what's happened, pandemics and killer bees and God knows whatever else and what might still lie in store. I hope not an economy that's crashed and jobs that have been lost 
and all, all these horrible things. None of us ever saw this happen. But you know what? None of it surprised God. None of it surprises God. God has gave man a free will to choose. Hebrews 2 and 8 says this, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. <clears throat> but then he says this, But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So everything isn't yet subject unto his perfect will. You know, he goes on to say that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So death was never the perfect will of God. So death is not yet subject to his will in the sense that death is still reigning over mankind. But there's going to come a day when it's not going to reign over us anymore. I mean, in many ways, it doesn't reign over us now. We don't have anything to fear over death, but this physical body will still die. But there's going to come a day when he's going to restore all things. And he's going to do that through Jesus Christ. Amen. So one day, and, and you know, one day, everything in the universe will be subject to his perfect will. That's why the author says we're not yet seeing everything subjected unto his perfect will, but we are seeing Jesus right now. There's chaos because everything is not yet subjected unto his will. But there is a mediator. Amen. And that's what we're looking to. That's mediator went to the cross to provide us a way back to God and restore the dominion that Adam lost in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3. And Adam, from his perspective, you know, I mean, there, there was no way that he could have ever have gained back that dominion. But God said, you know what? I already had this covered. You know, Revelation says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Before it ever entered the mind of God that there would ever be an earth, there was already a Savior, and everything was leading up to that point. And it's leading up to that point again where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord, that He is the mighty God. Amen. For he must reign, the apostle said, until he hath put all, th all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Christ is already reigning and in the process of bringing all things back into subjection to his perfect will. In other words, it's kind of like this. I can let chaos rule my life, but I don't have to. I can walk in fear, but I don't have to. I can walk in death and sins, but I don't have to because there's deliverance, there's power. So in, the, in, so in the process of everything not yet being subject to his will, yet at the same time he is reigning and bringing all things in subjection to his will. And so the more we submit to God, the more uh, you know, darkness flees from our life and the more freedom that we walk in because we're walking in his authority. Amen. So he's ordering. In other words, the kingdom of God is the church. And it is that kingdom that he is in the process of bringing into the earth right now. And the church is bringing the will of God to the earth. We are bringing the perfect will of God. God is using the church to align this world with his perfect will. Amen. So whenever the message of Acts 2.38 is preached and you come down to these altars and you lift up your hands and you repent of your sins and you get baptized in that water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ and you come up speaking in other tongues, you have aligned your life in the perfect will of God. That's the only way to be lined up in the will of God. Amen. It's the will of God for people to be saved. 
It's the will of God for people to be healed. It's the will of God that he provides for us, that the church expand and grow and continue to do great things in March honor. Let me tell you, no, no laws passed by Congress or the United Nations will stop God's church. It didn't stop it in the first church, and friend, it's not going to stop it now. The lions could not eat it. The prison bars could not hold it. The fires could not burn it. It was bigger than, it was bigger than Nero, Emperor of Rome. It was bigger than all of them. And God has a plan, and God's plan is bigger. It's bigger than any political party. Amen. So we are in the process of praying for the kingdom of God to come. Amen. Amen. I, I have to close now. It's 1030, but let me just say this as, as the praise team comes. If you're praying for a, for a particular political party to come, God bless your heart. But let me tell you this. You can pray for that to happen, but I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come. I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come right here in this city. Amen. For people to be born again of the water and of the spirit, for, for miracles and signs and wonders. We are getting ready to enter a season of unprecedented apostolic revival. And it's not time to sit down and, and just kind of be passive about it. But we got to believe this. Amen. We got to get behind the pastor and say there are great things that God still has for us to do. The best is still yet to come. We haven't even begun to see what God's going to do in this earth. Let's stand to our feet today right now and let's lift his name up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you this morning, God.